bring in and bring us some of that top-notch Cats coverage. Our good friend Evan Damerel of Right Down Euclid joining me. And Evan, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. How you doing? Good, Mac. How have you been? I've been good, man. I've been good. Happy to be talking with you and happy to be seeing a Cavs W like like the one that we saw tonight and the one we saw on Wednesday especially. You know, I know it's the Washington Wizards, but it feels like there's been a lot of positive takeaways over the last couple of games. And, you know, Jared Allen definitely being one of them. Yeah, so it is. it can be hard to really find, like, broad takeaways or, like, the niche stuff when it comes to Cleveland winning by 38 uh, on Wednesday, and then they were up as much as 29 tonight against the Wizards. But, yeah, Jared Allen has definitely stepped up, and J.B. Bickerstaff said it, and then Donovan Mitchell said the same thing post-game. Um, I think it's time to maybe start having that conversation about Jared being an all-star this year. I think he is a bit of that unsung hero. Mitchell told me, actually, before the game, um, Allen's been kind of flying under the radar, and it's been that way since um, Mitchell came to town because, you know, Allen has to share responsibilities with Garland, Donovan, um, Evan Mobley as well, and I think he's totally okay with that. But he's really stepped up and showed out, and I think just the fact that he's only playing 2.4 more minutes per game but just, like, absolutely eclipsing all of his averages across the board is really testament to how well he's playing on both ends of the floor, and I think – to J.P. Pickerstaff's credit, I have not seen a big man really play this well all season long, especially when he's tasked with like handling Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid. He takes it in stride and just kind of keeps moving forward. I'm excited to see how he defends uh, Wembenyana on Sunday. Yeah, and I'm excited for that one as well. And I think that the other part that's really impressed me with Jared Allen has really been his passing and the fact that you know seven assists uh, on Wednesday night, three assists tonight as well. What do you think that, when it comes to his passing, how do you think that opens up the rest of the offense at that point? Oh, it opens up a ton. I think not even just with um, what we've seen lately. When this team's fully healthy, there's a lot of big-to-big passing between him and Evan Mobley, with one of them being the ball handler. It's usually just a simple lob between two seven-footers. And you think, oh, it's a simple enough concept, but they're vertically cutting off the head of the defense there and really like forcing defenses to overreact when they try to run that play again and defend the paint and, Allen has a good enough vision and a pretty steady enough handle, one, to not turn over the ball, which is great if you're a big man. I think that's something every team would love to have. But more so the fact that the Cavs are just kind of surrounded. Everyone on this team with shooters, whether it's Max Struess or George Niang or Sam Merrill as of late. I think Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, of course, are already in this conversation too. I think Karis LeVert still having a pretty steady three-point shot has helped a lot as well. But they're, they've got a good mix of guys just to accentuate the fact that they like to play bigger basketball. And they have a guy like Jared Allen who is very intelligent and realizes, okay, I don't like what the defense is showing me. I'm not going to be able to kind of dominate down low. Let me just kick it out to one of those zillion shooters I have out there, rack up an assist, and get three points instead of either zero points or a trip to the free throw line. Well, and, and the other thing too, Evan, with a, a game like tonight, you obviously get to see a little bit more of the – a little bit more of the depth on this team as well. And one of the guys that's really stood out to me, man, I'm not going to lie, is Sam Merrill. And, and the fact that, you know, 20-plus minutes tonight, already, you know, shoots up, locked and loaded, nine shots that he was able to put up from beyond the arc. You know, what has he really shown you, especially over these last couple of games and over these last couple of weeks? I think to me, he's shown to me more than anything. He's not afraid of the moment, I think. Testament and credit where credit's due to uh, Cleveland's player development staff and also just their scouting department and finding these 
just, you know, um, diamonds in the rough, whether it's Sam Merrill or Craig Porter Jr. or like Dean Wade in the past or even Lamar Stevens. Like the, the Cavs have done a good job finding these guys that aren't phased by the size of the moment or the fact that the Cavs are really going to lean on them. And I just think the fact that like Sam Merrill continues to give J.D. Bickerstaff and the coaching staff the benefit of the doubt and just continually building trust with Bickerstaff and his staff and um, his teammates as well on the floor, like it's going to be hard not to keep him in the rotation when this team's fully healthy just because he gives you something that's just, you know, underrated across the league, like three-point shooting, which is something the Cavs need does just as bad as anybody else. And I think the fact that he's on such a cheap contract helps a lot too, but he's just really stood out just because he – provides a lot of spacing and you see he is starting to make scouting reports and defenders are playing a little closer but the Cavs are still using him pretty creatively as a motion shooter to just get those really clean easy looks on the perimeter to just completely open up the offense and you know that helps guys like we just talked about him Jared Allen just get even easier looks on the interior because defenses have to overcorrect and then kind of account for Sam Merrill and then it makes the Cavs even harder to prepare for. Well and one of those other players that's really stepped up this year as well and you mentioned him too but it's an interesting situation with Craig Porter Jr. because he's on that two-way deal. And do you think that we could be seeing a, a NBA contract coming his way now that Ricky Rubio officially announced his retirement uh, yesterday? So I always had a feeling once we saw Craig Porter Jr. help the Cavs beat the Denver Nuggets or he drives into the chest of Joel and Bean in overtime and helps the Cavs beat the Sixers in Philadelphia. There's like, okay, there's a little bit of juice to this dude's game. And then you start to realize like, he's just, again, like Merrill, not really faced by the size of the moment. And it's funny. He's actually only like a month younger than Darius Garland. So he's, he's a rookie in every sense of the word, but he's pretty seasoned in terms of experience. But I would not be surprised if um, the Cavs did, you know, convert his two-way contract um, because he's never going to – I know for sure he'll never play for the charge, whether he just sticks on the two-way and just never plays for the charge. But he's just become kind of that important piece where, as you said, like there's no Ricky Rubio this season. The Cavs have tried uh, point guard by committee, whether it's Mitchell, Levert, uh, Struess at times, and like Merrill stepped up too in that role. But the Cavs just haven't really had like that steadying presence or a guy who can like maybe run the offense a little bit differently than those guys can. And Craig Porter Jr. has really stepped up in that aspect. And it's just interesting. He does have those shades like Rubio did and Rubio was really healthy and kind of had that lightning in the bottle moment when he first came to Cleveland where Porter Jr. is only six one. I think he's about 180, 190, but he plays bigger for his position. Like he looks very comfortable defending ones, twos, threes out there. And you see a lot of fun lineups when he shares the floor with Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland or both of them if they want to go super small. But, yeah, I think he has, like Sam Merrill, earned the trust of J.B. Bickerstaff and the coaching staff. And now he may not get consistent minutes most nights and his team's fully healthy, but he's more than earned a, a fair shot to get a fully standard NBA contract. It's, it just really depends on how everything pans out come trade deadline time. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up here, too, because I feel like we talk about this every year because the Cavaliers end up getting into some kind of an injury situation over the last couple of years, especially. But for for Kobe Altman, how do you kind of evaluate this roster? And do, do you buy? Do you sell? Like, I, I feel like this year is so up in the air with what they do. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who are the true sellers and buyers. I know. Some of the more national reporters said, I know Adrian Wojnarowski, who uses um, uh, 
Facebook or Instagram threads quite a bit, like those AMAs once a week. He said, like, there's going to be a lot more buyers than there are sellers this year, so there may not be a lot of players available. And, you know, like the Detroit Pistons don't want to sell, they want to buy, which still confuses me. But (laughs) we're talking about the Cavs. But for in Cleveland's sake, they've always been a patient and pragmatic organization. Like, you don't really see them making rash decisions or rush to make moves. I think the quickest I've ever seen them make a move was – they went and got Rajon Rondo after Rubio tore his ACL, and it was clear like they needed a point guard with Darius Garland, you know, who was out with back issues at the time. And other than that, like the Cavs are very comfortable riding this out, evaluating what they have, giving an understanding of what they do have. But my co-host on Lots on Cavs, Chris Manning, was stressing me like, yeah, they should probably look at depth at the point guard position. But my counter argument to that is, well, they have not had Ricky Rubio all season. Craig Porter Jr. stepped up. You, you would assume or at least hope that he does get one of those two open roster spots. But uh, if you're looking at how this Cavs team breaks down, I, I think it's just kind of clear that they need another guy in a similar mold to like George Niang, who's like a 3-4 type player, uh, can give you some rebounding, um, can provide you that spacing next to your bigs, but also like you know is adequate enough defensively, can kind of hold against bigger players. But more importantly, just gives you that three-point shooting and that spacing. And, like, you hope you get that with Dean Wade and George Niang. But I think adding one more to that mix could really make the difference in certain matchups and scenarios, whether it's against, like, the Knicks or the Bucks or even Philadelphia, like, even if the Cavs did beat Philly not too long ago. Like, there's a kind of an interesting need that the Cavs have. And, sure, they are a little bit limited asset-wise. And I don't think they're going to try and rock the boat too, too much because – they are pretty set in stone to what they have rotationally. So I am interested to see what they do, but it definitely makes sense to them to kind of look at just three-point shooting. You know what? They've already had a plenty in Max Strews, um, George Niang, and then the brief moment Sam Merrill played, but they probably would want to add a little bit more if they can. Well, and with that being said, who are some of the names that you kind of have in mind for a, a player like that, a 3-4, 3-and-D type player? Well, if it's a three and D three four type player, like that's that's going to be a little bit too hard for them. I think that that's a little bit too much of the complete package. But you hope you can get a little bit of that defense. But um, it's tough just because like there's not a ton of names that are going to be coming available. Like you know, in a perfect world, like if you got Pascal Siakam, you're over the moon. If you could somehow get Keegan Murray from Sacramento, um, that would be great too. Maybe the Kings get a little bit too antsy in their pants and they want to really get on the Siakam sweepstakes and they somehow end up with that. If Jonathan Kaminga is actually that unhappy with his role in Golden State, if the Cavs can somehow parlay a trade at that, that'd be pretty nice too. But uh, you think of guys like in that vein, or you look at like, I don't know, Dino Gallinari, who's like a bit of a vet that like doesn't play for the Wizards, but he could be interesting enough as like that third big in that type of like niche where you can like call on him. He can give you that three point shooting, that rebounding, that size, but He's not going to cost you a ton. It's more or less a rental because he's on the last year, of his, or he's on a one-year contract. I think he signed with the Wizards, actually. But um, you're more so looking for guys like that just because the Cavs are really close to the luxury tax threshold. They are a team that not doesn't want to go above it um, just because of the ramifications that come with it. And they also are pretty set rotation-wise when this team's healthy, so they just kind of want to accentuate what they have. It's somewhat similar. I in the thought process, at least, of when they acquired Kyle Korver a few years ago, they're like, oh, this is one of the greatest offensive three-point shooting teams of all time. Let's add one of the greatest three-point shooters ever just to kind of, you know, the spoil of riches. So you want to add a little bit more. And it's obviously not apples to apples in this comparison, but 
it's a similar sentiment. Like you just want a little bit more juice just from that spot specifically, just to kind of round out what you have. Well, and, and Evan, the other side of this too, and I'm glad that I'm glad you mentioned them in there too. Uh, but I, I'm curious, you know, with Kaminga, the reports today that you know he's unhappy with his role, and uh, or that he fell out of favor with Steve Kerr, and then the the fact that Moses Moody's camp apparently is leaking that he wants out of. You know, Golden State, which, uh, again, I mean, a great player coming out of college, but hasn't really done much with Golden State. What is going on with the Warriors at this point? Um, it's just interesting to me because I think they tried to do that two-timeline situation where they had their core trio of Draymond, Clay, and Steph, but they're like, okay, well, we were really bad that one year where they got James Wiseman. We is in the Warriors, of course, and... They tried to kind of accentuate what they had with a young stable of players, but it just didn't pan out because I think, one, Steve Kerr would rather lean on veterans and guys he trusts. Like James Wiseman was shipped out of Golden State to Detroit for pennies on the dollar practically, and, I mean, that, that, that pick was a bust, and I think you can call James Wiseman a bust, but neither here nor there. But, like, Moses Moody, like, is a fine player. Like you said, hasn't done much since college. I think Jonathan Kaminga hasn't done much at all since he's Ignite, and, like, he's pretty open and transparent with the athletic. Like, he doesn't understand what the consistency in his role is. Steve Kerr fired a shot back um, <laughs> this evening saying that, listen, I've been frustrated with my role for 15 years. You get used to it. I'm like, I don't think that's the best thing to kind of say in the wake of this. I think that's something you kind of handle in-house, but you know, it's it's not my tire fire to kind of have to unpack as a media member. I can just watch from afar and go, dang, that's that's a lot to unpack. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's not as bad as maybe being a beat writer for the Washington Wizards because that's a dreadful basketball team. But, <laughs> again, if, the, if Jonathan Kaminga wants a more fleshed-out role, and I think it's probably for the best if they move on from one another, especially now that it's this publicly – toxic between the two between both sides like if it somehow ends up being the Cavs and it depends ultimately what Golden State's asking price is and with Kaminga he is a that 3-4 type player who is very young very athletic I think could put up some very very good numbers if he had a more defined fleshed out role minute wise so the asking price may be a little too rich for what Cleveland is able to offer Golden State but if somehow, some way, Golden State is just like, we need to get rid of him, like Jonathan Kaminga has got to go, and the Cavs are somehow able to get them on the phone, you know what, that'd be a huge win on Kobe Altman and his staff's part if they're able to pull that off. But he, again, the Golden State just kind of needs to break this, break up some of their young guys. It's whether it's Kaminga or Moody or Wiseman, and I'm just thinking of all the other young players they've kind of whiffed on and moved on from, but it's just an interesting thing. Like it's run its course, and I think Kerr leaning on the vets, and the vets finally showing that they're holding the tooth doesn't help. And also the fact that Draymond is Steph's guy, so I doubt they'll ever trade Draymond. Um, they're they're kind of on a crash course for disaster, and <laughs> you know it's it's weird. Um, they have they definitely outlived the, the the finals runs they had with the Cavs just because that core group's been together so long, but. They're in for a very rude awakening when the cracks really start showing, and I think they're starting to show. Evan, I gotta say, as a Cavs fan, I'm I'm absolutely loving the fact that Steph, Clay, and Draymond are essentially the the the, the people on the the violinists that are playing on the Titanic as a sinking <laughs> ship. I am thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying watching that ship sink, 
And Evan, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy having you on with me as always. Thank you so much for joining me, my friend. Appreciate it. Oh, anytime, Mac. I mean, if, if you ever want to have some shot and fraud about the Golden State Warriors, I'm always happy to talk about that. But long story short, it's fun, two fun wins for the Cavs, and hopefully a lot of people show up Sunday instead of staying home to watch uh, whoever the Browns try out at quarterback against the Bengals. Hey, man, Jeff Driscoll, we, that's how we roll with when it comes to Week 18. Quarterbacks we don't know. Evan, thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it, brother.